Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Do you believe it? God really loves you. And you're not alone. No matter what you're walking through, no matter where you came from, what you did last night. God really loves you. And it's so good to be here and enjoy that love. I can tell you that it's the message we have for this community. What greater message could there be than for God so loved us that he gave his only son? And that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the message. And the way we do it is by demonstrating that love. By opening doors, by putting groceries in trunks of cars. How cool was that? to see our students involved in a ministry where we fed that many people. It was amazing. It was a sight in every carload. I mean, I didn't walk to every one of them, but I went to as many as I could until they told me I was slowing the traffic down, so I had to quit. But seriously, every one of them, they just need to hear that God loves them. I met a vet, an Air Force vet, that was going through a really difficult time. She lost a leg in service and She's just a lot of struggles. And as I met these families, I just thought to myself, you know what? I just pray that they see the love of God here with open arms. This weekend, we opened our arms to a, a women's conference. And, and, I, and I, it was Lifeway. And our good friend Ben Mandrell is the head of Lifeway. And every year we, we do this. And the good thing is I hear reports back about how much those guests, those speakers appreciated the love they felt when they got here to this church. That's the way we show it. And we show it when there's crisis in this community. I know many of you weren't here. Maybe some of you weren't even born. January 24th, 2006. I'd been here about six months. And the story broke that a young lady named Jennifer Kessie had disappeared. I mean, literally disappeared. She wasn't far from here where she lived. Last time she was seen, it wasn't far from this church. And she was gone. And then I started getting calls that her family was going to be in church. And I just remember thinking, man, what, what would Jesus do? He would wrap his arms around that family. And that's exactly what we did. I'll never forget those days. We invited the family to come down front, and there's a picture somewhere of, of her parents and then her aunt and uncle who joined in, and maybe some other family members that were here, maybe a, a cousin or two. And, and we gathered around the church, just a big old bunch of people just gathered around them and prayed for them. And, and, and many of our people helped on the search teams. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you the story is we still don't know where she is. 17 years later. But I tell you what God did with that. He changed lives. And you're going to meet one of them that wrote a book about the, the things that God did through all of that. It's her uncle, Bill Gilmore. Welcome Bill Gilmore to the platform with me. Bill, come on up. Bill, it's so good to have you back here. They live now in Richmond, Richmond Virginia. So if you got up early enough, y'all could make the 10 o'clock service, you know. Exactly. No, we'd love to have you back. You know that. 
Bill and, and Debbie, by the way, Debbie's right over here, there, yeah, and their daughter's sitting right there. That's so good to have you. So Bill led a life group up at Lake Mary, and they had 40 folks at one time coming to your life group. You were an amazing servant here. And it kind of all began through what happened with Jennifer. This book is a book that he wrote. When's it, when's it? It's out now. It's out now. Aftermath of Jennifer Kessie's Abduction. An Uncle's Quest for Understanding and Inspiring Life Lessons. He wrote that out of the experience. And the reason I have this copy in my hand with all these little things, uh, Morgan, who is over communications here with us, she went through and put a red sticky note or whatever tab these things are, every place that he talked about this church. And you can see it's a bunch of them because this place was a part of what God did through this. And Bill, we just want to say what an honor to have you back and what a, what a blessing to have this book available today. So tell us, I mean, I gave him just a quick, uh, we don't know. So what's going on right now with the family? So in the last chapter, we talk about the fact that at this point, uh, November 28th of last year, the Orlando Police Department uh, turned the case over to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And there are six specific things that the family is asking for FDLE to do. And when they've done that, and we'll sit down and meet with the family, uh, our, from our family's perspective, we're going to say that we've done everything humanly possible to bring Jen home or get information about Jen. But I think everybody here knows that it is in God's hands. Yep. Only he can change a heart or hearts of people that are involved, people that know something that can bring closure. Yep. And God is doing something. Because what you write in this book is story after story of how God blessed you in the journey you're on and growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, even through pain. Exactly. And I, I, so you're going to be back there in the back. I will be. And uh, these books are available at the bookstore Longs and he'll be there. You can get a signed copy. Did we, did we put a picture up of her? I think so, yep. We did. So you, you've seen these billboards. Anytime you see one, you remember Bill, remember her family, pray for them. Because this is a nightmare that they've been walking through. But you know, God can take nightmares. He can make good things come. Right. Nothing is impossible for God. And the most important thing, as we've been talking about today, reconciliation, relational yep. reconciliation. That's so, right. Yeah. That's right. Bill, welcome back home. Thanks. This is home. I call it home for Bill <laughs> Thank you. and for Debbie. You guys, great book. You can get it back there. Bill's going to be back there in between Thank services. You. Thank you, Bill. So that story Man, it was a heartbreaking story. I, you just can't imagine how does somebody disappear and never a trace, not a single trace. When you think about it, we are a church who talks about hope and we talk about life. And we were placed in a situation, how do we respond to this? And we just did what we know to do and that's love the family. We don't know the answers. We don't know where she is. We don't have all the answers. We just know one, and that is we are to love this community in the name of Jesus. And we've done it consistently every time. That's the, the response. So let me ask you to keep that thought in mind. What if you run into a situation? I'm about, I'm about to show you something that don't freak out. Don't run off. Don't turn the stream off just because you see this. They're back. Only in my hand, they're back. Or this one. Let's get serious. This divided families. This divided churches. This divided communities. 
And there were those who said, no, 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 no. You, when you wear a mask, you're showing you don't trust God. And then there were the, oh, no, no, no. When you, show, when you don't wear a mask, it shows you don't care about your neighbor. So here's my question. How do you solve issues like that? What does the Bible say is our God when we go through that? Well, you know what? Paul dealt with that. In the book we're studying called 1 Corinthians, he gave us a great way to handle it. Now, he didn't use COVID mask, but he used meat, sacrificed to idols. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is one of those chapters that gives us principles that work in all kinds of situations. So let me give you context where you're going there to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Food normally is not a big issue. But in Corinth, food was not only difficult to come by, but food had stigma attached to it. For example, the cheapest food, the food that you that most could afford was food served at the temple of the gods. And the reason it was accessible and cheap is because it had been offered to idols. And so the food was there. It was cheap and you could get it. And so Paul is listening to a message from the church in Corinth in the form of some friends who went to Ephesus and said, hey, Paul, here are the issues we're facing. Well, one of them was, we got people divided in the church. Some of them say it's okay to eat that meat. Some of them say, no, it is not okay to eat that meat sacrificed to idols. Now, we, we don't understand that because we, we don't live in a culture where we got food that's offered to idols and then you can get it on sale at Trader Joe's. I mean, it's just not the way our culture works. But think about it. Think about how it would divide. I mean, you're chowing down on a chicken strip and waffle fries, but it came from a temple. Not, not the one you're thinking of. Not the Baptist temple, Chick-fil-A. No, another one. <laughs> and, and you're eating there and somebody sees you. The temple would actually let them eat there in the precinct, there in the area. And somebody sees you eating there. What are you doing? And you look at them and go, it's no big deal. There's no such thing as this idol. It's just good food. And, and, and it's a lot less expensive. Well, yeah, I know, but it was offered to an idol. And you go, but there's no such thing as an idol. And all of a sudden, that creeps into the church and you got a debate. Now, we don't know that story. We know this story. And we know a lot of things that have divided churches and things that really are not about scriptural prohibitions. Like if the scripture, te for example, we've been talking about sexual immorality. It's never going to be a case of, well, what, you know, what if I, what if I have an affair? Would that cause my wife to stumble? I think it would. And I think it'll cause you to stumble. The answer is no. There are things that are very clearly taught in Scripture, no. And that's not what Paul is addressing. He's already spent a lot of time, and we've spent a lot of time talking about sex and those things. This is about things that there's not a verse, there's not a chapter in the Bible, thou shalt wear mask. We don't have it. So what do we do? We draw on principle. And that's what this chapter does. So first thing. 
I want to get in front of you the principle of love and knowledge. That's what he's going to start with, love and knowledge. Because every decision you make, you start with one of them. For example, on the mask, well, I know what I read tells me that we got to wear masks because you can spread this, this stuff and we're all a lot safer. And so we got to wear masks. Another person stands up and said, no, no, I read where the masks really don't help. And so I'm not wearing a mask because it's my right. So here's my question to you. Doing what you have the right to do is that more important than doing what love would require you to do? Are your rights more important than your responsibility to others? Now, once you get that question in the back of your mind and watch what Paul does with that, he starts, I'm just going to start in verse one. We'll read just the first three verses. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Now, anytime you see the quotation marks, especially the ESV, he's quoting them. In other words, that's probably a quote from what he heard when they wrote him and said, hey, we got some issues back here in Corinth. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So the first thing he does is says, okay, guys, you need to understand something. What you know doesn't always help, but love always helps. What you know can actually hurt. And by the way, you don't know as much as you think you know, because God is the only one who knows. And by the way, it's a lot more important to be known than to know. And that is to be known by God. So he starts with just this basic thing. Here's the decision you've got to make. When I'm thinking about an issue I've got with a friend or in a family or whatever, do I let knowledge lead or do I let love lead? Now, they both have interplay, and that's why he's talking about this. Second part of this. Here's what we know. Read with me verse 4. Through six. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, in quotation marks, and many lords, in quotation marks, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now, right there, he just simply answered it. We know better. There is no such thing as an idol. There is one God and he's everything. So therefore, our knowledge would say that meat doesn't matter. Eat it if you want. You don't have to eat it. But that's not where he stays. Because it's not most important what you know, it's what you do. So watch what he does. In the next verse, he begins to talk about what do you do? Even though you know there's no such thing as an idol and that meat is just like meat anywhere else, be careful what you do. Next verse. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some 
through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We're no better, uh, no better, we are no worse off if we do eat and no better off or don't eat and we're no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you and you, they see you and you ha they have knowledge of you eating in an idol's temple, w will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? In other words, you'll encourage him to do the same thing and violate his conscience. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother, wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. There are four lessons in how we respond. Now, what we know is settled. God's in charge. Even on this issue, I believe my life is in the hands of God, not in a mask. My hope is in him. All right? So that's what we know. But what's important is, what do we do with that? There are four principles, four lessons out of that 7 through 13. Here's the first one. Food's not really the issue. It's our attitude. This is not the issue. It's the attitude we bring to that discussion. And I'm telling you, we saw families torn apart by this. Families that said, no, no, you can't even come to our house if you don't have a mask on. And the other family says, well, then we ain't coming to your house. So in other words, simply dividing a family apart. The issue is not the mask. The issue is the attitude. Food, he says it, food does not commend you to God. <laughs> You're not any better if you eat food or if you don't, unless it's Chick-fil-A. Probably that's a variant reading, but seriously, you, food doesn't do, it's not the issue. But your attitude is, food will never make God love you more. So think about that. Did wearing a mask make God love me more? Nope. Did not wearing a mask make God love me more? Nope. Doesn't change how God sees you. Second principle, you can use your knowledge as a weapon or as a tool. You can use your knowledge as a weapon or a tool. So in other words, you can walk around and talking about what you know and how you got all the answers, or you can say, well, you know, I, I read some, let, let me throw it out and see what you think. And maybe it becomes a tool. You know, there's, there, there's not really other gods. So really, there's only one God. So let me talk about that a minute. So you see, you can, you can use it to beat somebody up. Or you can use it to help somebody. At, at the end of the day, verse 9, this is, what he, this is what he wants. He says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Yes, you have the right to do whatever you want. But make sure that you build somebody up, not cause them to stumble. Andrew Wilson said it this way, knowing things make, makes our egos and our heads bigger, but loving people can make our brothers and sisters bigger. It's all about the attitude. 
It's all about how you deal with what you believe and know. Third lesson, not everyone knows what you know. Not everyone knows what you know. And you got to keep reminding yourself that. So this is about something that's clearly not taught in Scripture. As I said earlier, this is not about sexual perversion. It's not about asking the question, okay, so if I continue to watch porn, uh, that's my choice. It's my right. But if I were to call somebody to stumble, I might think about giving it up. No, that is not the way you process that. We know what the Scripture teaches Pornography is a sin before God. Anything that takes you into an area of sex outside of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman, it's already, he's already said it. But there are things he didn't talk about. And those are the issues where you begin to wonder, okay, so I'm not sure. Now, let me tell you what this isn't saying. This is not talking about a Pharisee who wants to judge you for everything you do. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying before you can do anything, you've got to take a poll and see what the people around you believe. No. I remember when I was a kid growing up in the church, uh, I wanted long hair. I mean, I love long hair, still do. But unfortunately, time is not on my side on the hair part. My dad said, nope, I don't want you wearing long hair. He said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but there are people in the church who might see it and think that you're a reprobate. I said, well, that's their problem. He said, yeah, but there, there are going to be people that, who, dad, who? He said, the deacons. The deacons? Well, that's their problem, not mine. Now, I was just a kid, but I didn't realize that I was actually saying something that made a little sense. When somebody is going to use an issue to judge you, it doesn't matter what you do. You're danged if you do and danged if you don't. This is not about judging someone. This is actually about causing a weaker brother to stumble. Causing someone who maybe isn't even a Christian to stumble. And believe me, the church is filled with people who want to want everybody to do it like they do it. They want everybody to believe what they believe. And that's an imposition. That's taking what they believe and forcing it on you. That is not what this is talking about. This is talking about a true weak believer who really needs encouragement. All right. So let me, let me share an article that I read that a guy made sense for me. And it's about something that's just, who cares? Smoking cigars. All right. You know, a lot of people smoke cigars, especially when you don't smoke them regularly. You, you're out on the golf course. You have a cigar with your buddies. You hit a hole in one, get that cigar out. You're out fishing. You catch a big fish, smoke a cigar. You win a national championship, smoke a cigar. I mean, there's all kinds of ways, right? Just celebratory cigars, whatever. So is it wrong to smoke a cigar? Well, there are some people that, yeah, they're going to tell you it's wrong. Let me read what he wrote. This guy's very interesting, Stephen Aldridge. Do I have to stop all cigar smoking because you think I'm doing something wrong? No. 
Scripture doesn't forbid smoking cigars. My liberty in Christ is not restricted simply by what other people might think of me. You hear that? That's very important. Paul says there's such a thing as liberty. And it is not to be determined just by what people think. If my behavior causes you to judge me, that's not creating a stumbling block. That's something you need to deal with before the Lord. Then he says this. But this is really important, he says. If I smoke a cigar around you, and that in turn leads you to smoke a cigar, even though you think it is sin, then I've become a stumbling block. My liberty in Christ has actually encouraged you to sin against your conscience. When our rights lead others to act against their conscience, we have become a stumbling block. So basically what he's saying is to a brother who is weaker, to a brother who doesn't understand following Christ, if that causes them to do the same and to struggle with it, I don't need to do it. And there are a lot of things in my life that I've just made the choice. I don't need to do it because it would cause somebody that is struggling in the faith or young in the faith to struggle. Let me give you an example, another one, dancing. I grew up in the Baptist church. Baptists were known for being against drinking and dancing. So therefore, I was drawn to drinking and, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just the way some of us grew up, right? We grew up in that context. I never could understand, even when I became a follower of Christ and really started studying the scripture, couldn't understand, what, what, what's our deal with dancing? Here's what I actually, <laughs> it was so prominent. Everywhere you go, you can't dance, can't dance, going to hell if you dance. I remember hearing somebody say the reason Baptists were against adultery is because it might lead to dancing. I, I mean, it was just so a part of everything. And I never could understand it. And I would try to reason with people and have a conversation. But it's a perfect example. For some of you, you grew up in that context. So it's going to be hard for you to see dancing and go, well, how is that okay? But yet somebody else has the freedom in Christ. David danced before the Lord. There's all kinds of references to dancing in the scripture. Now, I will say there's appropriateness to it. And there's an appropriate dancing and there's not an appropriate. We're not talking about a pole involved, okay? We're talking about a dance that honors the Lord. Just don't let your mind go to the wrong places because then the whole illustration falls apart, right? This is talking about things that differentiate people. And so what he says is, you just need to remember. It's okay for you to do it. But if you do it, is it going to discourage that friend of yours that's trying to follow Christ, that's new in the faith? Maybe you should have that conversation. Or maybe you should not do it. And so he ends up with the consequences. In fact, he says, this is the fourth lesson, the consequences of what you do matter more than what, or as much as what you do. You know what the consequences are if you go ahead and do something and it causes your brother to stumble? Look at this verse. These are the last verses right here. For if one sees you and has knowledge eating it, well, let me skip. That's, all, that's hard <laughs> to read for sure. So by your knowledge, that it's okay to eat that and you go ahead and eat the, the meat offered to idols. The weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. 
thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience. When it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So basically, he comes down to the end and says this. You know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to hurt my brother who is trying to find faith in Christ, hope in Christ. He's learning about following Jesus. I'm not going to do it because in hurting him, I'll hurt Jesus himself. And so he says, it's not worth it. So what I did, I came to a place of working through that. And this is my conclusion. And this is my commitment to the Lord. I will never knowingly cause someone else to struggle with following Jesus. If I know something is actually causing someone to struggle following Jesus, then I will say, Lord, I know that's not something I'm supposed to do. Even though I may be free to do it, I choose not to. Now, as you apply this, here's where it gets real interesting. I like Word pictures. I like diagrams because I'm a visual learner. So let me give you a diagram that will work for every time you run into one of these situations. Every time you run into this, it gives you, it gives you a visual. Watch this. Here's the issue. You can pick whatever issue. I mean, it's cigar smoking, uh, drinking. I mean, wine. A lot of a lot of people. That's been the issue. Can we drink wine? Do we not drink wine? Well, they were drinking wine. Should I drink wine? Uh, dancing, that's it. That is anything. Pick one. That there's not a strict prohibition in Scripture against it, but yet you're not sure. So here's what you've got to do. You're going to choose one side or the other to make your decision. One side is knowledge. Okay, I know what I know about this. And so it doesn't really matter. Nobody else matters. <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to do. And the end result is you come across as if you're better and if you're more important and you are puffed up in that knowledge. If knowledge is the only thing you appeal to as you're trying to make a decision, it pretty much is going to come down to you doing what you want to do. But if you ask the question, what would love do? What would love do? What would Jesus do in this? What, what, what's the loving thing to do? What is the best influence I can have on others in this? And it's going to lead you a place of building up others and making them feel encouraged in the Lord. Now, as difficult as this is, you have to look at your motive. Do I love myself more than I love others? That's motive. Will this puff me up or will it actually build up somebody? Am I using knowledge as a weapon or am I using it as a tool? Love always takes me down that path. And so back to this. How many of you have ever seen someone driving their car, windows rolled up, they're by themselves and they got a mask on? Yep. I'd love to know what went through your mind. What words did you use? I'm not even going to tell you mine. But I have, the Lord has shown me 
when I've been in a room or I walked into something and everybody had a mask on, I put a mask on, or somebody had a mask on, I said, hey, do you, you want me to wear a mask? Yes. Come to find out there was a real sensitivity, not just morally, not just emotionally, physically, they were compromised. Or they had somebody at home that could not get sick. Or some other extenuating circumstance that I had no idea. And here, all I'm worried about is my right. I don't have to wear a mask if I don't want to. You can't make me. No, you can't, but love can. And there were times I put on a mask when I didn't want to. I actually found it pretty uh, convenient on an airplane because when you put a mask on and you fall asleep, they don't see your mouth just wide open. <laughs> it just looks like you're just having a nice, peaceful rest. But seriously, I put this mask on many times, not because I wanted to, but because I felt it was the loving thing to do. Now, I just think you have to answer the question by saying, what, does love, what would love do in this situation? It's not about my rights. It's about my responsibility to never cause someone to stumble. So I want you to do something. I want you to bow with me. Is there an issue right now? Is there a controversy in your life or a, or, or a conflict in a family, in your family? And you're trying to figure out what do you do? What's the best thing to do? Could you just ask the Lord to help you to make the decision right now? Apply this. Lord, what is the, what is the loving thing for me to do? What is it I can do that is still going to build my brother up. Again, is it a true weak person in the faith or is it a Pharisee? And if it's a Pharisee, Jesus didn't do anything to please them. Neither should you. But if it's a brother in the faith and he's trying, she's trying, what could you do to help? Father, this is such a difficult day we live in. We're so divided as a country. We're so, it's so tense. And we fight over things and we just pick each other apart. And Lord, we don't want to be a part of that. That's not our world. That's not the kingdom that you came to establish. So Lord, help us understand that our rights are not the most important thing. Our responsibility to love as you loved. So, Lord, just help us to make decisions based on that. Help us to know how do we answer this question. And, God, I know you'll honor it. You'll bless it. And I pray that brothers and sisters in Christ will be encouraged. They'll be blessed. And their walk will be strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this morning, this is different. And I don't mind telling you it's different. And it touches places that, you know, we don't normally talk about. Of course, we've talked the last two months about things that you don't normally talk about in church. But his word speaks to us. And all I'm asking is that let his word speak. If there's anybody in this room or you're on the stream and you've never put your faith in Christ, I can tell you that's where it all starts. That's the most important step you, you've got to take. We want to help you take that. Now, we got folks on campus today that will have that discussion with you. Or you can text us. 
You can text the word CONNECT to 40777 and you can do it even if you are in the room, but you just want to reach out that way. Our goal is to help you follow Christ. And whatever we can do, that's our goal. Not to get in the way of your following Christ, but to help you. Now, there's something else coming up that I want to invite you to. I would love to get to know you. Because I know some of you are like I was. 18 years ago, I walked into this room about a month ago, 18 years ago. I'm a kid from Arkansas who paid my way through summers by hauling hay. Because I thought it would be a good workout getting ready for football. And it, it was. But it was hot. It was miserable. I walked into this room and looked around. And you know what my first thought was? This could hold a lot of hay. Man, I can make a lot of money in this room. I just remember thinking, this is big. This is too big. And I, I want to tell you something. 18 years later, it is the smallest big church I've ever been a part of. It is the most family church I've ever been a part of. And that happens when we get to know each other. And there's a way I want to do it with you. It's called Donuts with David. If you're new here and you haven't had a chance, we haven't had a chance to meet, or you haven't had a chance to hear more about this place, I, you're going to laugh. Text the word donuts to 4077. I feel like I'm selling a car now. 4077. I text that word donuts. And that gives you a way to register. July the 16th, we're going to be having that. I want to meet you. I'm going to tell you a lot about me, but I really want to get to know you more than that. So if the Lord allows you to do it, we'd love to uh, have that time together. But most importantly, I want to thank you for being here today. Thank you for being on the stream. Let's go be a witness for Jesus. Let's go do what love would do. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.